Hi, I'm Marian Cilic. Hi, this is Roger Federer, and you're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. Twentieth Grand Slam title from thirty Grand Slam finals and a record equaling sixth here in Melbourne. Roger Federer defends his title and remains the king of the Australian Open for the last time from Melbourne Park. This is the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. Welcome to what I think. Well, I should tell you straight off. We are backstage. We're just behind the commentary boxes. There's a gentleman to my right pulling out wires and folding up computers. There's people still in the commentary boxes finishing off their coverage because moments ago, Roger Federer was crowned Australian Open champion for record equaling sixth time. Something we're about to reflect on, but just wanted to sort of mark your card that later in the podcast you'll be hearing from Nick Kyrgios, courtesy of our friends at the ATP World Tour Uncovered show. So listen out for that. But we have to start. Jill Krabus, very happy to say alongside me with the king of the Australian Open. Roger Federer, a five-set victory over Marin Cilic. Yeah, it was just absolutely incredible. I think from the very beginning, I think you felt like Federer was pretty much in charge. I mean, that first time it went by so quickly, and you just really didn't feel like Cilic could get any sort of opening. And then when it got to the tiebreaker, you still sort of had that feeling in the second set that Roger was just going to somehow come away with that second set. So it was, I was really impressed with Cilic to come back, win that second set. And he started playing a little bit better, started playing a little bit more aggressive, and you could see he was starting to get under Federer's skin when it got to that fifth set but like like Chilich said in his post-match interview I mean Federer just played so well in that fifth set he really upped his level he got really mentally like a little bit more focused got a little bit more intensity and he got a little and more vocal as well like he started like really encouraging himself and saying come on quite a bit and so you know that's I mean he wanted it badly and I mean I was just impressed with, with the whole it was a great whole match but I was impressed with that fifth set the way Federer really upped his level did you see nerves from Roger Federer? Because the emotion we saw at the end, the tears that were yeah. flowing, and he said earlier in the tournament, hasn't he, that he does, he is human, he does get nervous. Yeah, of course, everybody gets nervous. I mean, I'm, I've talked to a lot of players, as, I mean, as champions, like, I mean, number one in the world that feel like they can't feel their arm when they go out to serve in, in the final match. I mean, it's always going to be there. It's just how you handle it. And um, these top players that have won so much, they, they've been in that situation so many times and they've felt that so many times. They've, they've, they've learned to manage it and they've learned to play through those nerves. And um, so they're always going to be there, but it's how you're able to fight through it and get through it. A lot of credit to Marin Cilic. We remember that Wimbledon final last time. I know he had the adductor strain and he had the blisters and he was in tears. And I'm sure there must be moments when he thought of that after a 24-minute first sit. And a lot of us were thinking here we go again but he managed to stay in there and turn it round to a degree I know that's why that's why I was really impressed with that second set I mean because I am sure in his mind too that he was like okay Roger usually somehow finds some magic in a tiebreaker from somewhere and but I mean Chilich got a couple looks at some second serves he got gutsy in those moments and he took the risk and he stepped it up and I was like okay that's pretty I mean that's an achievement right there that he was able to step it up in that moment and I think that was really courageous of him and I was I mean it was it was a great final 
20 Grand Slam titles from 30 Grand Slam finals. He's now fourth on the list, men and women with titles. He's got Steffi Groff in 22, Serena Williams 23, Margaret Court 24. It's, it's incredible. And for me, I go back to the emotion that I saw from him at the end of his speech. The tears were flowing, and the more the crowd cheered, the more Roger Federer cried. I mean, but I, that's completely understandable. I mean, the, the ovation that he got was just overwhelming and then once it starts you just it's just <laughs> an unbelievable atmosphere so I, I'm not surprised that I mean I figured he was going to get emotional anyway because he's just he, he does get emotional every time he wins a tournament but um, yeah but to get that kind of ovation and to know that many people just support you and love you around the world I mean that that means more to him I think than anything and I think that's where he started getting super emotional is the reaction that he got from from the crowd. I spoke to a woman, a Roger Federer fanatic. She was from Switzerland. She follows him all over the world. She said that her initials with her maiden name were RF. Then she got married and refused to take her husband's surname because she wanted to keep it as RF. And then he left her and then she keeps travelling around the world. So I, I was... He I, left her. Yeah, and I, said, and I said, I'm very sorry. She said, no, don't be, because she's got the initials RF and she travels around the world with Roger. I mean, okay. his fans... Uh, fanatical. They fans. are fanatical. Yes, I would say that's pretty fanatical. That's pretty fanatical. <laughs> and I should just say, people can hear noises behind us. Very soon after a Grand Slam finishes, everything gets pulled to pieces. From the minute it's done, they just start right away. <laughs> because there's a lot to take down, so they just start right away. We're going to get moved from side to side. And for the next, what, three hours, Roger Federer will probably be doing press because he gets taken on a tour of all the TV studios. Because he speaks, what, three, four languages, he ends up doing way more interviews yeah, than most people. So, yeah. so his night is only just getting started. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these players that speak multiple languages have to stay in the press conference for so long. And um, yeah, I mean, he's going to be he's going to be up there for a while. But you know what? He's not going to be able to fall asleep for a while anyway because he's got so much adrenaline going. It would even if he had to do nothing, he'd probably be up for the next <laughs> few hours. <laughs> Last year, I remember he said they partied until dawn. While we're here, I just want a word on the women's final incredible contest. And you, Jill Cravers, called the winner I at the start did. of the tournament. I called the winner of both. Oh wow! Okay, I know. okay. I'm I would actually ha- pretty proud of that call. I would high five you, but neither of us have got a free hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that women's call because I don't think a lot of people. I, every time I said I picked Bozniaki from the beginning, or even before the tournament started, and I said everyone was like really surprised, and and the way these two women fought, and the long rallies that they had, and the amount that they were covering and moving around the court, and to the very last point. It was just an incredible match. It really was. And following that, we had the final of the men's doubles. Oliver Marak and Matej Pavic, who they won two, two tour events leading up to this. Then they win their maiden Grand Slam. And they nearly split up at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. And now here they are winning a Grand Slam title. You know, it's, it's amazing how often that happens, though, where you just like especially if players haven't played together before and all of a sudden they somehow just gel from the beginning and then they're winning titles. That happened with Murray and Suarez in the beginning, their first time together. And um, sometimes it happens, like sometimes you talk about, you know, maybe this isn't working and one of the players maybe says, just give it one more chance. But then you just get a little bit looser. You kind of let things go. You don't expect things of yourself. And then somehow it all comes together. So I'm really happy for them. I think that's great. And I'm giving an honorable mention to the Colombian fans because they were taking on Cabal and Farah and 
these Columbia fans, they weren't there for the women's final. There were hundreds of them that suddenly appeared in the Rod Laver Arena <laughs> and the noise they made, Jill, the colour with the flags and the tops and the instruments they brought in was incredible. That's awesome. I know. I think that's that's great. Mixed doubles final took place today and for Matej Pavic, he has his second title mm. because he wins through with Gabriela Dabrowski, which that went down to a, a tie break I saw that, yeah. in the third set. And it was I watched the whole thing. I watched the whole end of the second set and the whole tie Because they were a set down yeah. and they came yep. back to take that one. And Dabrowski won the French Open mix yep. last year. Yeah. And now his, and this was their first tournament together. Yeah. I know, but that's what it was. We were just talking about another good example. Oh, <laughs> but mixed doubles is kind of funny that way because sometimes pairings. I mean, it does depend on the mainly on the yeah. woman a lot, where she can get back a lot of returns, possibly, or just good reflexes at the net. Um, so sometimes the pairings with mix just kind of work out that way. And there's so much I could talk to you about, but. I want to talk about a young man because we both listening a little bit to his press conference. The end of his match was Sebastian mm-hmm. Corder. Now, not only did he win the boys' singles title, but he won it 20 years after his father, Peter Corder, won the Australian Open title on his father's birthday. I know. That's incredible. And he knew that before going into the tournament. And he said he, this is something that he really wanted to do. And his mom's birthday is only... A couple of weeks, a week away or something, February fourth or fifth, whatever it was. But um, yeah, he said, and, and to go in there knowing that, and to be able to produce and that on your father's birthday, I mean, that's that's pretty incredible. He was so happy. I mean, he could just he couldn't stop smiling. Does he remind you of his father? I mean, I think he looks a lot like his father. And his play? Uh, you know, I don't remember the way he played the kick, the kick, scissor kick thing. Reminded me of his father <laughs> that he did at the end. <laughs> yeah, the photographers kept saying, can you do it again? Can you do it again? And he did, yeah. but it's wonderful for him. So, and he says he hopes maybe to take part in a couple of, of main tour mm-hmm. events this year if he can. What a couple of days we've had. It's always like this when it comes down to finals weekend. And it ends with Roger Federer rounding things off, beating Marin Cilic in five sets to be crowned once again Australian Open champion. It is for a sixth time he successfully defended his title. Now, there is so much to talk about, but I think, Jill, you and I are going to move because I feel like I'm whispering because of where we're standing, which is behind the commentary boxes. People are still on air. I think we're stuck in here just for a second because Roger Federer is about to walk down the corridor next to us. But I think... Well, then we should wait for him to walk right well, next we'll wait to for us. him, but then yeah, for sure. Is it probably a good idea that we just go and find somewhere a bit quieter and, and have a little look that sounds back like at a good the corridor? Okay, yeah. so we're going to be back soon. Okay. <laughs> You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio. For tickets to ATP World Tour Masters 1000 events, go to the ATP World Tour website and click on Tournaments. So here we are, we've come to Tennis HQ, it's a home to media, Tennis Australia, and it's quiet, because in the aftermath of a final at a Grand Slam, it's mental. They take chairs that you're sitting on, they pull out light sockets, everything goes dark, seats get taken from the stadium, but as of now, this is a quiet area, and we can hopefully just spend a few minutes looking through the rest of the tournament. So Jill Cravis is still with me, and we've managed to accost Peter McCarthy. Now, Peter, I know you were probably trying to make a quick exit, so thank you very much for staying with us. I'm sitting here quietly. They're removing furniture around me. They're like, I'm only sitting on this couch so they don't take it away because it's so comfortable. <laughs> they might still take it away. You lot have come in, <laughs> and I'm sitting here just, just reflecting on what magnificent tournament it's been. <laughs> well, thank you for reflecting on it with us. 
Well, you've put the microphone in my face, so you know you just get all my innermost thoughts going on here. I mean, Jill, this is this is a treat. Now we've got Peter to add his pearls of wisdom from last time. I know, I'm, I'm almost speechless. I'm so, I'm so, I'm honoured Peter could be here. He's really bad for a podcast. So. <laughs> I know. So, Don't worry, I won't be. Jill is going to f- almost. Jill is going to find almost. her voice. It, it's one of those things we could talk for hours and, and go through everything and everyone. I picked out a few, but feel free to throw in other names if I don't mention them. I want to start with. Young Chung. It was, it was an incredible tournament up until the semi-final. And, and Jill, you're the best person from the three of us to give us blisters. His agent said it was a blister on a blister on a blister. They shaved it down. It was raw. He said afterwards, I just couldn't continue. There were a handful of boos for a young guy, 21, his first Grand Slam final, because of the way it seemed to just finish. Yeah, I was surprised actually because in my opinion, I didn't really see any indication that he was suffering and I was surprised in the post-match interview that Federer said he could he could see that something was happening in that second set because I didn't notice anything, but the way he, he's been moving around the court and the way he's been running around the court, I really didn't see any indication he's been moving so fast. Um, but yeah, when the blister, if it starts to open up a little bit, I mean, normally the trainers do an amazing job of putting like a little donut around the blister so it kind of keeps the pressure off that area but sometimes if it if it keeps going more and more and more it's just you just can't control it it's something that just keeps rubbing against the shoe and 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 it can be extremely painful so it's unfortunate they had to stop that was really sad to see because and I'm sure the booze came from they just wanted to see more tennis and of course no one wants to see a match end that way so it's unfortunate because he had an unbelievable run and I thought he was actually going to really give Federer a run for his money. I think I'm sitting here trying to reflect on and you're coming up with blisters intricate details of bliss. I don't think I'd be thinking about that once this <laughs> tournament was actually done, Jill, but thank you for bringing that up. But uh, look, what I, to reflect on the performance actually coming through to get to that particular stage. So we'll just take that, put that to the side. In terms of the next-gen players coming through, had a good win over Sasha Zverev uh, along the way, Novak Djokovic too. He scored some pretty big wins, and we talk about here at the Australian Open being a tournament to set up the rest of the year and the confidence that he takes from Milan to here through the rest of the year, once he does recover from those blisters, how long does it take? I don't know how long it takes, but it'll set him up for the next stage. The question mark will be what he can do on clay because we know he's going to be okay in the American hardcourt swing. Um, can he get some good results on clay? Can he get some good results on grass? Because they're the least favourite surfaces. He'll be okay for the American swing, but I think by the end of the season, we sort of did our picks at the start of the tournament, didn't we, Gigi? And that, that worked out for Leap Cranovich. Anyway, um, he'll be maybe one of the ones more likely to crack into the top ten. My dark horse that didn't even start the tournament. <laughs> so Who was your dark horse? Philip Cranovich. Oh, Well, we had to okay. pick a dark horse, so I thought that was quite a good... Well, who was to know he was going to withdraw? Who was my dark horse? I don't remember doing a dark horse. No, this was a separate thing Pete oh. and I did in, in, the, okay. in the pre... Who was your dark horse? Um, well, see, this is the thing that happens at the end of tournaments. <laughs> oh, As I see. you well know, we tend to forget. I can't remember what I be because we put it in the vault and the, the time capsule, and I, I've got to find the key to be able to open the time capsule to be able to see who I picked. That there is a worry that the keys would be lost. I don't lost. even remember the question, Dark Horse, so... No, this I just was, remember this, this was a separate one. This, this was completely this, different. This was out of the time... Oh, got Pete it. and I, we, we, we okay. travelled down various roads. How come I wasn't included in this? One, this Maybe competition. On. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, anyway, Jill. to answer Peter's yes. question about the blisters, it shouldn't take that long because there are a lot of solutions you can put on drying solutions that'll make the blister dry up more quickly and then it'll fall off. It's in- lovely. It's incredible though. <laughs> <laughs> he came in as world number 58. 
He finishes Australia, Melbourne as the world number 29. It will change things for him. He's got Neville Godwin, the former coach of Kevin Anderson in his camp. And I love the emotion. I was speaking to Courtney Nguyen, senior writer for the WTA Insider, and she said, look, I'm Asian, and we're taught when we're younger not to show this kind of emotion, to keep the emotions in. Yet Chung is out there on the Rod Laver Arena, and his, his mum's kind of doing the heart sign above her head, and, and he's screaming as he goes through the rounds. I, I think he's a He's a great character for the sport. Yeah, absolutely. It seems to be becoming a little bit of a trend, too. The showing emotion. You saw Chilich do it. Kevin Anderson started doing it. And I think it's maybe to release that little bit of nervous energy. I think it's a good thing. I think it is tougher for a little bit of the Asian culture to be comfortable with that. And when I first saw Chung do it, I felt like it looked a little bit awkward, in my opinion. But I think the more he's doing it, the more he's, you know, allowing to feel that emotion, allowing to let, you know, the atmosphere kind of he get used to it and not overwhelm him because sometimes it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I think it's good for him and I think it was really fun to see. I think he actually enjoyed it. It looked like he enjoyed it quite a bit. When you consider too that uh, the profile of tennis in uh, that part of the world is not the highest profile of sport and it's actually a slightly different setup in terms of there's a lot of um, uh, in, uh, inter-country competition but not necessarily an amount of players who go and play on the ATP tour. Um, so now this is going to increase the profile big time and I would suggest that it has that flow on effect. If you have a figurehead at the top of the game in your particular country, it does wonders to get people in that country picking up rackets and playing. Absolutely. Peter McCarthy, Jill Cravis with me for the ATP Tennis Radio podcast. It's coming to an end. Can, can I get a beer? Can I get it? Well, no, I'm sitting it's here, it's all just, you know, people are just, they're, they're, anything not nailed down disappears. It's like a fire <laughs> sale in here. Hang so, on to your microphones, so folks. If Peter disappears, he's probably gone for a post-tournament <laughs> beer. It's not something I would expect of Jill, but Jill, if you want to join Not Peter. a beer person, more of a wine. Okay, so if I end up just talking to myself, <laughs> Jill's gone for wine and Peter's gone for beer, I'm just going to keep talking about tennis plays. The next day I'm going to throw out, and you can fight amongst yourselves as to who would like to start. British number two, Kyle Edmund. I've been pretty impressed with Kyle Eben. I think the biggest talk surrounding him is the fact that um, how he's matured quite a bit in handling really um, pressure moments. I think he struggled with that towards the beginning of his career, and I think he's done an incredible job of staying mentally tough and, and actually playing some big points better. And I think that's big, the biggest difference because we all knew that he was talented. He had that massive serve, big forehand, got a lot of power behind his strokes. And I think we all knew that, that he, what he was capable of, but I, I, I think sometimes the biggest thing it doesn't come come down to technique or strokes it comes down to how to handle those big points because there's so many matches where it just comes down to one or two points and I think that's been a huge um a huge ad- advantage for him I think in this tournament I think that's what's really improved it started off with the victory five sets over Kevin Anderson the 11th seed and it just seemed to roll on he was dealing with temperatures 42 degrees he was dealing with seeds but he was hanging on in there he was coming from being behind in matches, overturning that, coming through, and then finding himself in a semi-final of a Grand Slam. Yeah, it's interesting how that happens. The one that particularly impressed me was his run from Seppi through Dimitrov in terms of the way he played and the game style and that sort of thing. Yes, Grigor didn't have his best Australian Open. took him a little while to get going, and he did struggle at times, but I thought he'd come good after that win over Nick Kyrgios, which I thought, OK, he's turned a corner here, and now he's going to make it through potentially through to the final. Comes up against Kyle Edmund on the big stage too. I mean, you're playing on the big stadium courts. You have those particular moments. How do you handle that pressure? He handled it particularly well. He handled the matchup particularly well too. And 
I think probably an accumulation effect happened when he met Marin Cilic in the, the semi-final and that the, the level started to come down a little bit, couldn't quite get into it. One of the most uh, polite, passive-aggressive uh, takes at an umpire record I've ever heard before. It was so British, it was very, very Jill, did humorous. you ever yell at umpires? No, I wasn't a yeller, no. The, the worst thing I think I ever said to an umpire was that they were wrong. And I said it pretty much that calmly. <laughs> and, and did you then apologise? Because I once heard Kyle Edmund have a go in a very calm way. To him, and then like, literally a minute later, went, I'm really sorry about that. Well, I, I've apologised afterward because there was one particular match that I was not happy with the umpire. And I, I didn't, and I kept questioning and questioning. And finally, I brought the supervisor out. And then after, yeah, and then after the tournament, I said, look, I, can I not have this umpire? I mean, in a very calm oh, way. I wow. said, can I, wow. can, I, can I not have Never this umpire this for a little while? No, but I still said in a calm way. Like, I went to the supervisor after, and That's I was even like, scarier. is it okay if I, if, she, if she's not on my court for a while, for a, uh, like six or seven months? And then, and then, and then, and then I finally had this umpire again later. Do? It was just bad call after, like to the point. It's so such bad calls to the point where my opponent's coach was apologizing to me during the match. That's how bad <laughs> it was. So if that's happening, you know it's probably not good. Anyway, I had this umpire later, about about a year later, and I was like, oh goodness, they're on my court again. But I have to say, did an incredible job. And afterward, I literally went up to her and I said, I just want you to know, I feel like you did an incredible job. I feel like you've improved quite a bit. I apologize for it before, but I think you're great. Uh, and wow. she was very appreciative That's of this. That's not the answer I expected no. when I put the question to Jill. <laughs> this, this, is a, this is a bombshell. Jill Krabus. Jill angry Krabus. Angry at, at, at something. No, but, but if you saw me, you wouldn't have thought, if you looked at me, you wouldn't think I was That's angry. That's even scarier. When someone does when it someone's and they're calm. so <laughs> calm and they say, don't ever come near my court again. I mean, that's terrifying. Uh, that, I'm... I'm I can't believe that. That's that's now. That's taken the place as my highlight of the tournament. Hearing that particular story from Jill. But back to Kyle. Yes. Kyle had been through in my summer, Gigi. I thought, you know, with all the British journo's and press and media coming in, that would be great. Off the back of the Ashes, four nil, perfect. I'd start rolling with that sort of stuff. The one dayers would go our way too. That oh, would that all be fantastic. Happen. And and there wouldn't be a Brit left after Tuesday. Well, hasn't that backfired on me? I just cannot have a clear summer where I could have fun with our people from across the oceans. And I think from Jill's point of view, looking in the men's draw, you'd have looked at the American male players and you might have said, well, OK, there might be a run for Jack Sock the way he ended the year or John Nisner or Sam Querrey or Steve Johnson. Tennis Sandgren was the remaining American male in that second week. And I know there's been a lot of distraction off the court, but I want to stay with what happened on the court because quite incredible for world number 97. I know Stan Wawrinka is coming out for knee surgery. The movie, He still beat him. And then he beat Dominic Team in five sets. And he deserved his place in the quarterfinals. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you still have to do it. That's the thing. I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, you, you know, some of the opponents that you're facing maybe weren't 100% or, you know, didn't play as well as they could have. But you still have to win that last point. And it's not an easy thing to do because especially, I mean, Warinka's coming back. But, you know, just to, I mean, you know you're playing Warinka. And to mentally get through that battle is not easy. And then Dominic Team, as you mentioned, I mean, he's a fighter and he's going to make you hit a ton of balls. He's going to make you win the point. And, he, and Tennis Sanger did an unbelievable job of staying mentally tough he could have easily lost it after that fourth set came back and played a good fifth set and I think it just shows that he was ready to play and he had some great mental toughness and it, it was it was pretty impressive 
It shows the depth in the tour, doesn't it? This guy's playing challenger level, makes a step up, has an immediate impact. He hasn't played a hell of a lot of tennis at the main ATP tour level. He's been playing straight on the secondary tour. But it just shows that if you can make that jump, that anything's possible. He comes in as a direct entry. He was around 96, 97 before the tournament started. I was particularly impressed with that win over Vavrinka. Because, yes, okay, Varinka was hampered and all that sort of stuff, but he was striking the ball so cleanly. I reckon if Varinka had been fully fit, that match probably would have gone five, and he still would have been a decent chance of winning it too with the way that he was playing. And he was able to take that form through um, against Dominic Team. the extreme pressure of that to get through 6-3 in the fifth. He was just redlining it all the way through the tournament until, of course, he ran into Hyun Chung. But this, again that rise up the rankings will get him into more ATP events on the calendar throughout the year and he can really again set himself up to try and maintain that ranking get into the direct entry into all four slams and try and see what can happen from there you're listening to the ATP Tennis Radio podcast two members of the ATP Tennis Radio team Peter McCarthy Joe Cravers if you're just joining us rewind about what Pete two when do we get angry Jill is that about three minutes ago three four oh, minutes I'm, ago I'm reeling from that I'll just <laughs> That, that just to end a tournament is just extraordinary. I mean, I felt you work with someone for such a long time, and, and you, you don't, don't see know. the side of them. No, I mean, we've never asked me before until <laughs> this I'm, moment. I can't believe I did, and I wasn't <laughs> expecting the answer. So, if, if you have just tuned in, just wind back a little bit and then let us know at ATP Tennis Radio. Your tweets are all, always welcome. A couple of players question marks before they came into the tournament, they came into the tournament, and then through the first week or so, Peter, everyone was saying that Rafa Nadal they were giving him when I was asking for marks out of 10 for Federer and they were giving Nadal that little bit more. They were saying, look, I think he's a little bit sharper. So sad and so rare to see Rafa Nadal not able to complete a match. He never he never retires. I think it's, what, I've been two or three times that he's retired from matches. And you had that feeling towards the end of the, the uh, fourth set before they rolled into the fifth that th- something wasn't right. And the movement was hampered and he was struggling around the court. He was just struggling to finish the match, similar to, to Chung, that he knew he couldn't actually physically get out there and move around. He had the, the medical timeouts and, and that sort of thing. And it's so frustrating, I guess, for everyone because we want to see Rafa at his absolute best at all times around the world. And at the moment, we're just not getting that. And we hope that he'll be able to rehab, get ready, get back on the hard courts and then obviously his favourite he'll be playing on clay and just dominate that again but yeah it was was disappointing because he was setting up for a really great tournament he had straight sets wins through the first week was looking pretty good would have been feeling confident runs into Marin Cilic that you know was always going to be a long match I suspect a competitive match and he just couldn't finish it off where do we sit with what we saw of Novak Djokovic during the time I mean eventually he was out Djokovic by Chung but where how do you think, and there was obviously still pain and discomfort at the elbow, but how do you think he will feel with what he achieved by even being fit enough to be here? I mean, I, I think he should feel good, especially coming back from after such a long period of time off. I think he looked pretty good move, movement-wise, in my opinion. I thought, I thought physically, as far as breathing, I thought he looked kind of tired. Like, his movement around the court, I thought, looked pretty good. But I felt like he, always, he looked more out of breath than I'm used to seeing from Djokovic. So maybe the little 
physicality it wasn't quite up to par. I think uh, normally he's one that you just don't see ever get tired. And I think that's just coming down to not having played a lot of matches, not being pushed and being under that pressure. But I thought overall his body looked pretty good. I thought the elbow was a little bit strange on the serve. I think that might have been a factor for him. I don't think he served as well as he did. You know, we all know he changed his motion a little bit. And so that takes something that takes a while to get used to. But overall, in the scheme of things, I, I didn't think he looked that bad. Yeah, I, th- I thought he'd be really happy with that too. As you say, the lack of matches, I think, was the big problem. He also played against Gail Monfils, and that was the one in the 40-degree temperatures where... It was uncomfortable at times to watch. It was. It was really, really tough. And I think had that have gone five, it might have been a, a different story in terms of the results, in terms of the narrative and what we're talking about. I, I also think, too, if you're going to change your service action, that's going to take time. Now, you need to spend... Mm-hmm whole pre-season doing it but until you actually do it in matches and pressure situations and you feel confident in that action day in day out then it's going to take some time to to get used to and I think the fact that he turned up played got to a got into the second week that's a good base to start from. And Simon Cameron's mentioned in the podcast last week that he felt that the serve motion was just returning to how it was as as the matches went on and maybe fatigue set in. I mean, it's possible. I didn't necessarily notice that, but it, it's possible. I just think, you know, it just, I, I think it, what more what I noticed was it threw his rhythm off a little bit. And, I mean, I think with the shortened swing, it just takes a while to get that rhythm with the toss and the le- bend of the legs. And it's kind of all is supposed to go together for rhythm. And when you change something that dramatically, it's going to take a little bit of time. And I should say on Nadal, the statement came through. The leg injury will take about three weeks, but the schedule is still Acapulco, then Indian Wells, then Miami. You're listening to ATP Tennis Radio podcast the tournament's finished I know there's a quick turnaround because but I mean it's it's super quick it, it is because uh, the Rod Laver Arena as soon as everyone's off the court and everyone's gone that all starts getting pulled down because this is a multi-purpose arena so that gets concerts and sporting events and all sorts of things going on so oh yes you've got to be quick here otherwise you get shuffled out I've actually been here where what the, it used to be where the on the women's calendar after the Australian Open you had a week off and then I played a tournament in Thailand so I stayed here like three or four extra days after the tournament and it was like completely different facility I mean everything was coming down within a matter of moments and it was actually a little bit depressing because I was like no this isn't how I know it but it it, but I mean there are so many workers here just getting everything done it's just incredible do you come here during the year yes and completely different yes yeah absolutely yeah and the courts are obviously still in the same spots but you can't use the three main stadiums because they're down for basketball or gymnastics or netball or concerts or whatever's going on so they are completely transformed and um the outside courts are still there but with all the advertising taken down and everything you do not want to be playing on say court two or something like that, because if you're there just playing with someone, you've only got two tennis balls, you spend most of your time at the backs of the courts trying to chase, it, chase down the tennis balls because they <laughs> miles back, particularly with my style of game. But, yeah, it is completely different. All the grandstands come down. Obviously, the, the Grand Slam Oval area, that all gets taken apart. That just, just is parkland after it. So, yes, a complete transformation. It takes about a month to get the site up and ready. They start sort of late November getting it all ready and through December, then into January for the event, and they pull it down within about two weeks. Yeah, no, they're very quick at pulling it down. So I appreciate Peter McCartan and Jill Krabus being with me because people still have little bits of work to do, then there are planes to catch and things Not to do. Not for me. I live here. Planes to catch for some of us. For you and I, Gigi. For not Peter. <laughs> but 
As we're here in Australia, we have to talk about, because much of the early season, it was all about Nick Kyrgios, because he won the title in Brisbane. Perfect start to the year. Continued that success through to Melbourne before Gregor Dimitrov ended his run in the last 16. But as you'll hear here, Nick feels like a new man. I made quarterfinals here three years ago, I think. So, you know, I feel like I'm making improvements. But, I mean, the last couple of years, I just feel like I've just haven't been physically ready to play, you know, these long matches and back it up. But last year there were periods where I was really good and really bad. But, you know, at the end of the day, I just need to know that it's a long year. I can't expend too much energy on, you know, other things. I want to keep it even keeled throughout the whole year rather than being such a roller coaster ride. And I guess right now that's all I'm doing. I probably feel a bit better this time around. I feel relaxed. Obviously, winning a tournament before you play a Grand Slam always helps. But at the end of the day, I know that, I mean, I feel very confident in best of five matches. I've played a lot of them. I feel like, you know, with all these younger guys coming up, I kind of feel like I'm getting a bit older. But I remember when I was 19, uh, playing Grand Slams and you know I would kind of be hanging around all day in the cafe I'd always bring two bags in but now it's just my tennis bag I get in and out and I definitely feel like I've been used to this sort of level for a long time now you know I did a really good off season this this year I trained with Leighton and the guys in Melbourne for two weeks so I feel physically I physically I feel really good and you know it just gives me confidence in my game and you know I know that Mentally, I'm a lot better as well. Um, you know, obviously getting a good start in Brisbane helped. Just, um, you know, I, I overcame some ad adversity in that tournament, obviously coming from a set down a couple of times, but I feel for me, there's pressure wherever I go. You know, I'm expected to win a lot of matches, no matter if I'm here or in Wimbledon or US Open. So it's the same for me. This is ATP Tennis Radio. I was chatting with Mark Woodford. He's a tricky man to pin down for his time capsule predictions. Understandably so. I mean, this man has a bronze bust in his honour in Garden Square. He's a, he's a legend in these parts. You should probably talk to him, not the bronze bust. Is that your problem? Trying no. Trying to pin I, him down for anything? You're just pointing I, the microphone at the bronze bust? I found the real one. Oh, good. That's actually kind of a funny image. I just saw that happening. <laughs> <laughs> Me with a microphone talking, talking to, to a, a bronze bust. <laughs> <laughs> it's, did you actually think I'd be doing that? <laughs> no, no, but Peter put it in my head, so I just pictured it. <laughs> so I definitely wasn't speaking to the bronze version right. of, of Woody. I was trying to get his time capsule prediction because he is so in demand with, with lunches and legends tournaments and commentary um, responsibilities. But he did say, and Nick Kyrgios in that piece says, look, he's expected to win a lot of matches here and at Wimbledon. And Mark Woodford and I believe hardworking producer Russell have picked Nick Kyrgios to win Wimbledon. Can you see that happening, Jill? Of course this, I can. This year? Yeah. I could see it happen. I could have seen it happening a, a while ago just with, for his tennis game alone. Really? Now you, his, you, could, you could have for seen... For his tennis game alone. Uh. Men mentally, I feel probably in the past, no, but there were moments. There were moments, especially in Miami, I, when he was playing in Miami. There were moments he was playing, it was Federer, I think, and he, I just felt like his mentality was so good. And I remember after that match, I'm bringing up that match in particular because I remember after that match thinking, he lost. I remember thinking, it's unfortunate that he lost that match because I finally felt like he was at a place mentally where he just handled himself really well. And it's, it, and it's if you can keep the mentality after matches you've lost like that, that's going to get you go to go far. But he, but he struggled after that. He didn't respond very well. And I think if you can respond well after those moments, I think that's when you can, you can progress. And this is another perfect example. He lost to Dimitrov. It'll be interesting to see how he responds after this because I actually thought he was playing pretty well. That was a tough match for him to lose. So it's going to see how he responds 
after this tournament. I mean, there's all talk now. Everyone thinks he's great. Everyone thinks he's right in the right spot. But there are moments that I've thought that before. And so if he can continue on this path, I, yes, I think he can win Wimbledon. Yeah, I think you and I were on uh, AO Radio at the time. That Dimitrov match where we talked, I used the term, both players to turn to corner. Dimitrov turned to corner in terms of his form in the <laughs> tournament. But for Kyrgios to actually stand up under that pressure... Everyone looking at him on Rod Laver Arena because he loves playing out on the high sense arena. He, play, he got the match on Rod Laver Arena and the way that he handled that, I thought, was, was great in terms of what we were sort of expecting in terms of the talent and then the mental side of it to try and fit together. And it was a highly competitive match. And I think in the aftermath of that, the commentary wasn't, oh, this is, this is terrible, he played bad, you know, and all the old demons are coming out, all that sort of stuff. It was more about how well he played and how well he handled himself on the court, and it's all fitting together. Goes back into the team environment of Davis Cup now for a week. Um, the Australians play Germany, so Sasha Zverev and co. Um, in Brisbane, so he'll enjoy that. And then maybe a little bit of downtime, because he loves being at home and around friends and family and all of that sort of stuff, before he then can wind up for the American swing. He's got a little bit of time to prepare for that, which is great. Because if he has that time throughout the year where he can just settle and be at home and you know practice and all of that sort of stuff and then apply himself when he's there on the court then we're going to start seeing it I think and and the other thing too is that he is still young he's got the talent that talent won't desert him but I think slowly but surely he will make that breakthrough I'm not necessarily sure it'll be at Wimbledon this year I think he can make a deep run but certainly in the years to come we talk with Nick Kyrgios about the mental side of things haven't because we know he's got the game with Grigor Dimitrov, who beat him, but then fell to Kyle Edmund, not taking anything away from Kyle Edmund's performance, I think the reason I, I haven't tipped Dimitrov to win a Grand Slam this year, or maybe ever, is for me is the mental side of the thing. He looked nervous against Kyle Edmund. The serve looked completely different. And I, I don't know, for me, the game, of course, is there. And his coach, Danny Valverde, who's been to the BBC, says something very interesting. He said, I've been working on making him boring. Because for so many years he was so flashy. flashy. He said, I want him to be boring. And everything's there. He can win big titles, Cincinnati, London. But Jill, what is, what is the piece you of know, the puzzle I, that's missing? I, well, I heard that. I heard that interview. And I actually wanted, wish he would have expanded on it a little bit more. And if I get a chance to talk to him, I would love to ask him about that particular uh, point that he made. Because, um, I'm, I mean, I think, yes... I, I can I'm trying to read his mind a little bit and I and I agree that you know a lot of times like Dimitrov was I mean he is a very flashy player that's just kind of how he looks that's kind of how he plays around the court and I know what he means by being a little bit more boring I think which is you know I interpret it as being willing to play a couple more longer points stay in it just a little bit longer mentally instead of as soon as you maybe feel slightly out of position going for a massive shot when you're not quite ready to hit that shot so being a little bit more um, I guess uh, consistent that way and a little bit more competitive that way. Do you think mentally? I think mentally it's part of it okay yes were we going to go ahead? Were we yeah, no, just mentally and in terms of nerves and conquering those nerves yeah. and getting to the, the biggest matches in the sport is is there something there that still needs to strengthen? I mean, probably. I, th- I think there always is something because it also depends on the opponents you're playing too. You know, if you're going out and you might, you maybe slightly, you don't feel like your game matches up well against them. That's something mentally that you can work on a little bit more. I thought Dimitrov handled himself incredibly well in the finals at the end of the year. Mentally, I think he did a great job of that. So it's there. 
But I think, again, it's, the, it's that consistency. I mean, he's proven himself mentally. He's three in the world. So he has proven himself that he can handle those situations well. But as far as winning a Grand Slam, I think, yeah, a little extended belief. I think his fitness is there because the two weeks is extremely brutal. Um, so I think over time in the two weeks, that can get a little mentally tiring at times. Um, so maybe look into that a little bit. But, I mean, I have him winning the U.S. Open. Well, there's still time because it's yeah. very early in the year. One other person <laughs> I want to touch on, and I do appreciate your time because the tournament's over and you haven't got your beer yet, Peter, and Jill hasn't got her wine, and I feel bad that this hasn't happened yet, <laughs> is Sasha Zverev. And maybe we can stick with the sort of the mental side of the thing. Miles McLaggen, uh, we have a, a group WhatsApp for the ATP Tennis Radio commentators that maybe Peter's not on by the look. <laughs> um, do you want to maybe expand it on was, that a little it bit? Was, it was put together at the O2, was so hard-working, oh. hard-working producer Russell really? could get in touch with people oh. at very short notice. Oh, okay. But yeah. I, don't feel bad. I don't, I don't know about it either. Yeah. But I I'm, think as as the hard-working producer who is listening to this is the administrator, I'm sure he will be adding both of you to the ATP tennis if you so wish to join. Well, I don't know now. Do we want to join their little Of course club? we do. I would love do to. We? Yes, I'm, yes, I want to be a part Jill's of the club. In. Jill's in. But, <laughs> but on that group, yesterday when Federer, we knew he was going to take his place in the final, Miles McLaggen message saying, why did I succumb to peer pressure? I went, Sasha's rare to win the Australian Open. I wanted Federer. I succumbed to peer pressure. And he got a lot of stick back. And no, yes. he hasn't changed his pick. Sasha's rare a few people thought, Peter, despite having no form in the majors, that he could win this one. Yeah, because of the lead up. Because he looks so good. He played Hopman Cup. He played some great matches there. He lost to Tanasi Kokonakis in his final one. You think, OK, coming here. Is this the year? Because his career progression has just been up and up and up. And that question mark, we talked about it in the podcast a couple of weeks ago. It feels like a couple of months ago now. But uh, the fact that, okay, this is the final frontier. This is the next step that he has to take. Can he actually do it? And, you know, he was looking pretty good early stages. He came up against a next-gen player. I think that was probably the problem. He came up against someone who's in his peer group who wanted to really knock him off. And he did... It was really touch and go early for four sets, and then it just dropped away so sharply in the final set. And that, to me, seems to be the missing piece in the puzzle for Sasha. If the batch goes deep, is he able to stay and maintain his level if it goes five sets, three and a half a, hours? Do you see that as a physical thing, a mental thing, or a combination both, of both? Both. So used to getting results, and you might be 7-6 in the third across the, the Master Series events, and you might play two and a half hours. When you extend it out to four and a half hours... Uh, and I, it's also probably getting a few more of those slam matches under his belt too, so you actually understand the dynamic of playing in those five sets, playing Davis Cup as well, to get used to that. He's got the fitness base and he's got the ability, so maybe it's just more, okay, the physical deterioration that happens normally anyway, coupled with the mental side, because there were times where there were things in that match where he, he was wanting the lights on, and that was a drama that went on for four games, and then Chung, Chung's level across the whole tournament was just amazing he barely dropped his level and of course if you drop yours slightly then the match can slip away and he was getting frustrated by that too so it's about how you conquer that and turn that around and I think that's probably the big thing that they will need to work on yeah I agree I think I think it has a lot to do with what what Peter said with the frustration I mean that's the one thing I see pretty often with Sasha in the in the um, grand slams is that he he'll, he'll be playing pretty well and if there's a close set and if he ends up losing that set 
for some reason, if there's a part of him that feels like he should have won that set, he lets it frustrate him too much. And I think it starts to carry over throughout the rest of the match, or even if he wins that match throughout the rest of the tournament, and he just gets, I don't know, like that frustration comes through. And, and it's almost like every time I get surprised when I see it, because I feel like... I feel like he can be very focused and very concentrated at times, but there are moments in the slams that I just feel like that, that frustration overwhelms him a little bit. It's that similar frustration, Jill, to knowing that there's a WhatsApp group for the ATP tennis I agree. I know. that we're not on. I know. I'm thinking Gigi's feeling it right now from us. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not group administrator, so I feel... Come on, HWP, come on. There is... There is a man who looks like he wants to take our table, as in pack it away until next year. So I'd like to finish with an honourable mention for a player or a highlight you may have. And the highlight cannot be Jill's admission earlier in the podcast. Oh, it is. <laughs> I mean, it is. And if, if you're just joining, wind back, have a listen, because it was startling, startling stuff. So, I mean, for me, an honourable mention, I think I'd give an honourable mention to Thomas Burdick. He feels like he's the forgotten man of tennis, but a lot of people said he had a great close season working Martin Stepanek who he started working with midway through last year he won the tiebreak tens exhibition he came through here yes he came undone against Roger Federer but I think I think he's looking good he's still there and what a career he has had and he continues to have playing at this high level so he would get I think a little honorable mention from me a highlight or an honorable mention it can be it can be a match that you just thought wow just from the bulk of the tournament or a player who you thought they did well even if they went out in the first round I think I'm going to pitch, pick the dimitrov Kyrgios match. Even though we talked about it, I want to highlight that just a little bit more just because of what Peter and I mentioned as far as both of them making a little bit of a breakthrough in that match. Kyrgios having to deal with frustrations, distractions, but the way he handled himself, I think if he can carry that over throughout the rest of the year, it's going to be, he's going to be unbelievable. And then Dimitrov also, I think, throughout, I mean, he was not playing his best tennis, I think, throughout this tournament, but the way he fought to get through a lot of those matches, I mean, he didn't really have an easy draw. He had a tough match against the American, uh, Mackenzie McDonald, and then to beat Rublev. Well, what are you doing? Wait a second, and then well, to beat, I'm focusing on a player, and then to beat Rublev, who's an upcoming next-gen as well, <laughs> and then to beat Kyrgios, and I think he did Jill's it. going to name everyone in I the think draw. he did it on a path that he, he wasn't playing his best tennis. And, and I think the best play, and those are the best players that can figure out a way to win when they're not playing their best. Well, now that you've mentioned the whole draw. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Well, I was going to highlight Mackenzie McDonald and the way that he you played. You still can. Can I? All right. I'm officially highlighting him, even though Jill highlighted him as well. Stealer. And I, actually, the matchup that intrigued me most in terms of the first round was Andre Rublev and David Ferrer who met in the first round, and Rublev managed to get the win. It was a hard-fought contest. It went the distance, 6-2 in the final set there for Rublev. I thought, wow, this is the uh, the generations coming together. The changing of the guard. Yeah, and for me, that's sort of the narrative that's going to happen, I think, throughout uh, 2018, the fact that we're going to see these players making their mark at various stages throughout the tour, and uh, the, the veterans, legends... Well, whatever you'd like to call them, the older players, um, will start to see that competition increase. I think this will be the generation that that's really starts to assert themselves right at the very top and match it with those players who've been so dominant for such a long time. Well, that's what I think is pretty cool, is that look at what, who we're talking about for winning the slams. There's a lot of names yeah, that are, are coming out. Different names. Yeah. Apart from harder-working producer Abby, who's picked Federer for all of them. And at the moment, oh. it looks like... But it's a very... 
it's a good choice to have someone with that much experience, but I think Abby's got him throughout all of them, and I think in London as well. So it's, it's an easy one to remember. Okay. Just Federer, well, Federer, 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 of course. Federer, Federer. Um, I've got a plane to catch in okay. a few hours. We're about to lose the table anyway. Peter, where are you going to be joining us on the tour I'll this year? I'll be later on. I'm later on. So does that mean you don't need to be on the WhatsApp group yet? No, I do. I feel like I'm missing out on something here. It's just to secure my place on the team because there's a long gap between tournaments for me. So later in the year, yes. But, but thank be... you for coming to Melbourne. Thank you for coming to visit me because I come over and visit you. Thank you for having and and Jill. Yes. This is fantastic. Jill is our on-site yes. reporter at India Wells. So I'm that question so you want to ask Danny Valverdu, you've got I'm the microphone. Ask him. I wrote it down. I am prepared. I want to ask him that so badly. I have one question that you need to ask one player because I don't think Gigi did it during the two weeks and she promised she would. David Goffin, what's his favourite music? What okay. music does he listen to? I need you to track that down, Indian Wells, please. I must know. I will write it down and I'll say it's a direct question from you. From me. Jill Krabis, Peace with Carter. It's been an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for the time, especially with the tournament come to an end. Now, remember to join us each week on ATP Tennis Radio for the podcast. And if you have any questions for our guests, tweet us at ATP Tennis Radio. And for a roundup of results from the tournament, go to ozopen.com. Now, we're going to have plenty more debate and discussion in next week's podcast. But in the meantime, be sure to listen to the ATP Tennis Radio channel. You'll be able to hear live ball-by-ball commentary from the Masters 1000 events. Jill's going to be on site, Indian Wells. There's the next-gen finals. I think Peter might be in for that so there is a way away at uh, the ATP World Tour Finals I think you're still Crikey still here for that plus the final of the ATP 500 events throughout the year the ATP Tennis Radio channel also brings you daily news updates from the event as well as interviews features and it's available on your smart speaker so if you have an Amazon Echo or Google Home speaker just search for ATP Tennis Radio it's been a pleasure we now sign off from Melbourne bye for now <laughs>